this get delayed all the way to October, maybe November. And I say, hey, yeah, we can start working, but we need to address with a new with a new uh, proposal because the, the one that was sent doesn't make sense any longer. I had in mind I wanted to discuss the price, but it wasn't clear. And yeah, and that's how it went. Like I reduced the proposal, but yeah, that the whole sensation, like my feeling, I felt really bad. Hello, and welcome to episode 39 of Webflow. I'm your host, Jack, and today my guest is Matthias Peters. You've probably seen him in the Webflow Twitter sphere after he did his 100 Days of Clones. He was a designer that came across Webflow in 2014 when he was working for a digital design agency in New Zealand. However, he went all in on Webflow in 2017, and then in 2019, Joe Krug from FinSuite reached out and asked him to join the team there. He worked there for two years before deciding to start an agency called Bookmark, and he is now focusing his practice on just dev. The failures that we talk about in this episode are not standing by the price he gave to a client, not sticking to the plans he makes both in professional and personal life, and stepping out of a closed deal because he was afraid he couldn't deliver. This episode, I feel, covers a hell of a lot for potentially more experienced designers, people that are at the top of their game but still have flails that they're trying to overcome so i really hope that this episode provides you tons of value embrace and learn from failure in episode 39 of webflow with matthias peters matthias bienvenido a webflow hey jack thank you very much for the opportunity i guess that that intro came from i think something i spoke with matt from webflow recently i need to make up a couple of changes there I think because the thing with Joe and Pinsley was 2019. I also have, I, I, but I think I also have, after that recording with Matt, I have all dates messed up. So just to give a clear, like 2014, I started working using Webflow. 2017, I guess, I decided to move all in into Webflow. And 2019, I started working with Pinsley. I messed that up then. I've been listening to like different interviews that you've been doing in preparation for this. And uh, I kind of was just like, I'm just going to have a stab at it. I'm just going to hope because there were some different dates that you threw out, but I'm glad we got that clarified. So for people that may have just seen you because of your 100 days of 100 clonables, what were you thinking? Just let's just start off there. That is a crazy goal. So I had this, I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to do to do animations in Webflow. That's something, one of the things that made me jump into Webflow in the first place and really wanted to do this because I see a lot of animated stuff on Dribbble mainly that, of course, they're After Effects, but they were um, shown as a web mock-up. And I, w- I was thinking, okay, yeah, this is cool because it's in After Effects, but okay, let's build it real in, 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 in a real website. And that's how I wanted this all thought of doing Webflow animations. And that's one on one side. And the other side was that I recently, uh, back in October, I started Bookmark, a Webflow agency. And also I thought it was a good idea to get some attention, to get to get some noise around and and maybe get some leads. So I said, okay, if I did this for like 100 days, I'm definitely going to get at least one client. <laughs> uh, it didn't happen. Um it might happen in the future uh, because of, of this effort, but it's not happening right now from that specific initiative. And yeah, those were the two things uh, that really make this thing happen. 
Awesome. Yeah. So it was initially to actually get clients. That was kind of like a marketing yes. strategy. That's correct. But I would say, though, that, I mean, I know about you because of because of that. And Edgar Allan interviewed you because of that. And, you know, there, there's it's funny how you might think, oh, my God, that was so much effort. And my main goal didn't quite happen. But there's this strange kind of boomerang effect, I find, with uh, stuff unexpectedly coming out, like maybe a year later, just from something you did. So I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's a waste of time at all. No, no, I don't say that. Also, I've, I've learned stuff from that. And it's really, I'm, I'm happy to you bring that point because sometimes we expect some things to happen really quick. And even though it's been a three-month journey, we think it's in enough time, but uh, that's really short time in a, from a marketing perspective or running your own business. So it's a reminder that we need to really think long-term and and really learn also like if my goal was to get more clients maybe rethink that goal for similar initiatives in the future as you said i've i've been interviewed by interviewed by edgar allen now you are bringing me to the podcast and i guess also i've got the attention from others and i might receive other type of invitations for the in the future so yeah maybe it's not really directly getting me leads but of course it's getting me some sort of uh, positioning in the in the space yeah, definitely. It's interesting how when you do something very consistently, people start to see you as that thing. Because I think sometimes when people say, I'm a webflower and I design for, I design great websites that are really fast. And it's like, okay, that's just like white noise now, because obviously there's so many, um, you know, people that kind of have that type of thing on their, on their websites. And I think it's, it's good to just show, you know, what, what you can do and and then people will associate um you know you with that thing so i think that's it's a really strong strategy even if it hasn't necessarily got you clients straight away i would argue but i mean if you were to give some advice to someone i mean say hypothetically someone's listening who's about to start an agency or is in their early stages and they're not getting clients you're basically saying that's maybe not the best short-term strategy to get clients to make a hundred clonables what would you do differently if you were going to advise them to try and get clients maybe the best way i've done it in the past and i think maybe it's a cliche and it's always overused reach out to your network uh is the is the quickest way to get clients even though it doesn't look like maybe it feels weird i've been getting new clients like for the past six seven eight years and and i i rely on that recently uh on october when i was launching bookmark and i i get a couple of gigs from reaching old clients hey do you have you anything in the pipeline I, I can help you with is there anyone in your network that may, might require some help that i can i can be of help there and also maybe people you work in the past maybe a collaborator maybe um i don't know and i know that now that i have my network because i've been here for a while i have those a sort of connections but if you're really starting starting and you don't have connections on on the on the let's say professional space you can reach out to people in your community like uh, in your neighborhood people in your family in your like extended family and i think people will be surprised of the response and it's not that maybe you won't you won't like you will get a direct yes from those people 
but you are letting you are letting you're letting the world know that you are actively looking for those type of collaborations and things will start happening. It's not going to happen on one or two or three months. Let it let it uh, be, like as you were saying. You need to be consistent and and think on the on the on the long term. Yeah, definitely. I I think that's great advice, and it's actually ridiculously simple, isn't it? It's uh, like people are trying to do all sorts of different things to to try and get clients, but actually just reaching out to people who like know and trust you. Mm, didn't think of that. You know, that's a uh, it's pretty strong uh, advice. I would I would argue. So tell me a little bit about um, you, your design career, and then going into Webflow career. I think is is really interesting because. You've worked for multiple different agencies. Like I said in the intro, you worked in New Zealand. You've worked for FinSuite. You've done a little bit of work for Edgar Allan, I believe. So, I mean, tell 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 me a little bit about how you went from design to dev and why you then started your own agency. Okay. So, well, I'm a graphic designer. That's what I went to university for. And but. Uh, I don't know why I had this teacher back in, in high school that he was teaching us HTML and CSS. And then during my design, my graphic design, when I was studying that, I knew that, that thing. And when I came back, I came to the like professional space. I landed my first job on a, on a, like in a startup here in Spain. And because of that, I was doing some uh, small WordPress work, uh, Mainly, mainly, mainly design, but also WordPress and an always tied to digital space. At that point, print was still a thing. Uh, it's still now and nowadays, of course, but with digital is taking over the place more and more with time and always tied to the digital space. And from there, I went to an agency in New Zealand. I lived there for a while. And it, at that point was when I, I ran over Webflow. So uh, at that stage, I wasn't doing any dev work, mainly was web design, but Webflow at that time gave me a way of communicating with front end developers to show them in a visual way what I was wanting to achieve. Because of course I was working on static files, there was no movement, so I was able to to recreate some of those layouts in Webflow and animations in Webflow and communicate with with devs. And that was my starting point with with Webflow. Then when I moved to pull into Webflow, a good thing happened to me that Joe contacted me and I started working as a freelancer, but full-time for, for FinSuite. I, I was there like almost two, for two years, a really good experience to, to work at that level. And then decided to, to do my own thing, my own thing after, after FinSuite. And I was doing both design and development, but I came to this place that I said, Hey, Building a website is so difficult. So many pieces that bring into, that come into place. I need to simplify my 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 mental load when doing this. So I decided to move into dev because I really liked the idea of building logical systems to to find some patterns there and building really from the foundation uh, of a really a well defined system. So I decided to go freelance and work with people such as Edgar Allan, as you were saying. And then from there, I realized, hey, I want to build my own team. I want to, I already know what's working with clients. I want to scale a little bit, not a, be a huge team. And that's why I came to build Bookmark in October, 
but I need to say that there's an update here that I'm I might scale back because I didn't realize what it really means to build a team. There's much more skills involved than just being a freelancer or a solopreneur. And I might scale back and do something between like, I didn't want to jump into, into projects, but I realized that I, I need to do it and have a more defined process before I bring people in to do that. Okay, wait. So I'm just going to say back to you what you just said, because there were loads of different things there. So started yeah. out with Webflow to actually just show devs what you were trying to achieve. So you're kind of using it more as like a prototyping tool, really. And then you were like, oh, wait, I can actually build what I want to just build on this. So then you really learned Webflow and you really went in. And then Joe reaches out, come join us. Then you were like, boom, okay, two years later, you have got an incredible skill set working with one of the best, you know, Webflow agencies in the world. Tried to, you know, do freelancing. Then you were like, I've got too much work on. I need to build a team. Now you've started building a team, but you're like, wait, building a team is actually way harder than I realized. And now you're kind of thinking potentially running an agency in the traditional sense is not what you want to do. And you maybe want to basically be a quite an in-demand freelancer, it sounds like. Is that is that kind of fair? Yeah, I'm still navigating this, this last thought I share because I'm still on that specific process. But I believe that I can, at this point, I cannot just like handle a complete project to someone else. I can hand, I can like say, okay, I need help with this specific code. I need help with this specific section or animation. But I believe that I still need to own the project or the development of it because I know how one, I want things and I need clear processes and clear ways of doing things before I can tell someone to come and help, help me with a full project. Yeah, I think this is something that isn't actually talked about very much in the Webflow space, but being a Webflower seems to be, for a lot of people, it's you do design and dev. Those are totally different skill sets. I mean, of course, there's a lot of overlap and there needs to be quite a lot of you know understanding of both sides of the coin to actually work well together. I would argue like responsiveness. I mean, a designer might be like, okay, 1440, sweet go dev it guys and then it's like wait what we don't have like we haven't you haven't thought about any of the the screen sizes and how do these animations work am i just going to freestyle them and like there's so much to it like you say and this is something that i've also been grappling with so i'm interested how you're approaching it so you then said look i only do dev give me the design files and i will review them and you know, ask loads and loads of questions and make sure that the design files are good for me to actually then do the dev. Is that how you're now operating as as a as more of a freelancer? That's the ideal. Is not how I'm, how I'm operating, but yeah, that's the the ideal is to to have like the like a design review phase with the client where you make sure that you have everything clear to build. You don't want to make big decisions while while you're building, and that's something I I'm failing right now because. I say, yeah, send me the files, send me the Figma files. I will start working from there. And then you realize that in the middle of the process, you still need to figure out like really crucial things like, I don't know, filtering, how this CMS collection is going to work. What do you want to display on this, on this page, on this dynamic content? And those questions needs to be resolved up, up front before you jump in. Ideally, it, it would be great to have this conversation with the client, type of a workshop with them, and then price after you know all of this details but of course you need to price that workshop as well so that's 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 difficult as well but yeah that's that would be my ideal 
ideal approach to to only the uh, projects in workflow. Okay, interesting. And is that kind of how you're trying to move towards that? Because I think there's also kind of education piece with the client. Obviously, if it's an agency that's giving you design files, hopefully those design files might be more organized and you have like mm. you're kind of following their processes, hopefully, if they're pretty solid. But I think if a client is like, yeah, yeah, we just want dev. Uh, we've got the design files. Don't worry. Like, we'll send them over. How much would that be? It's 10 pages. And you're just like, I'm so intrigued how you would then push back and be like, okay, the workshop is going to cost X. Like, and we're going to do a workshop because, like, is that how you're trying to move towards this as a freelancer? Sorry, we're kind of doing like a live workshop right now, but I am just so intrigued how you're yeah. thinking about this. Yeah, so that's correct. I, I I need to say again that I'm on this process right now, so I'm I don't have like clear answers. It's just like things I would like to to do, and I can tell you the story on this. I had a a recent client reach out. It was a past client, and he is now on. He's the in another company. And the, he said, "Hey, we want to to move this page, this site into Webflow. Quick build, everything is defined." And I said, "Cool, cool. Uh, I'm I've changed how I'm doing things right now." I need to figure out stuff. We need to to align on, on what you're expecting, and we need. I do, I do need a workshop, and then, and then from that, from there, we we price. I price. I give you a price, and the and the workshop is uh, X. And they said, no, 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 no. We have everything clear. We 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 went through that process on on August, and we we just want this to be built in workflow. I say, okay, if that's the case. I cannot help you. Uh, so I didn't. I needed to pass on that client. So I still don't know how I'm gonna make it to to make kind of realize we need to do that workshop. Also finding the best way to price them to price the the workshop. Maybe kind of okay the 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 workshop is X and then it is discounted from the full project. One is closed. I don't know. I don't really know. Um, but I think that's the only way to be fair to oneself. So you are you are you are paid for the work you're doing. And also you approach you are approaching the project in a way that it makes the most value for for the client as well, uh, because it it might look like you're spending a little bit more money up front, but then you are gonna be so much clear in the process and have all the all the fine, but yeah, fine details. Yeah, uh, but it also this also brings a new question to myself that is maybe this needs to be this workshop is earlier in the process before design, because. These decisions here are gonna also um, 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 impact how design looks or how it's built, and so yeah, a lot of questions to be resolved right now. Let's get into your failures. Tell me about failure number one: not standing by the price you gave to a client. Very linked to what we just talked about, huh? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this this happened to me really recently. Uh, this ties back to May last year, so one year from now. Uh, I sent a proposal to this client, X amount, and I don't know. They keep push the like, okay, this worked for us, but they keep pushing the the starting date because they had stuff on their side, and this get delayed all the way to October, maybe November, with where, where we restart conversations. And I say, hey, yeah, we can start working, but we need to address with a new with a new uh, proposal because the the one that was sent didn't make, doesn't make sense any longer. And I had this feeling of of them like 
really not being clear and really um, me getting uh, worried about, okay, this client, I don't know how easy it would be working with them. So I decided to send them a proposal, like kind of double of what I sent them on the first place, even a little, little bit more. And I was, I was, I was like, when I wanted, well, had I had to push the enter button or the send button on the on the email, I was like, do I do it or not? Got the shaking said, hand. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so let's send it. Uh, yeah, I sent it, and and they came back like, hey, uh, we received the proposal. Can we have a call? I say they they didn't really specify they wanted to talk about the proposal, so I I had in mind they wanted to discuss the price, but it wasn't clear. And then on the and on the on the call, I didn't prepare I didn't prepare myself for that scenario. I I thought that might be a scenario, but I didn't prepare for that. So I was I was with any tools on that call, and of course that was the main topic or the only topic that they wanted to discuss. Like hey, how how we have this number right now. And I kind of like was eh, I don't know like I didn't I was I felt so weird so bad I could say like yes like uh, run a team now things have changed we have a lot of, of uh, clients coming in that's our price I kind of take it or take it or leave it or or yeah we can bring the price down but we we will take this off but I was I wasn't confident so I said yeah but yeah let's let's bring it down like what would be something that would work for you kind of I, I asked them uh, and yeah and that's how it went like I reduced the proposal maybe not to what was in the beginning but maybe something else like I don't know maybe one and a half more because there also there was some new stuff uh, new deliverables uh, but yeah that the whole sensation like uh, my feeling I felt really bad I think I, I, um, I don't know like the feeling they had also I, I believe it wasn't a like I didn't. I feel like I wasn't being professional, uh, but yeah, and I'm still on that on that prayer right now. I still like waiting on them to to deliver stuff. Mm, that's a difficult situation. I mean, the things that you said as alternatives there. Do you, do you wish you said, "Look, I now run a team. Uh, we can reduce the price if we if we reduce the scope." Do you wish you had said something else? Or, or maybe just not taking that project at all in hindsight. Or, or what, what advice would you give to someone that's maybe in a similar situation? Uh, I wish I had, I because I knew this was coming somehow to prepare. Like, okay, let's say the, the client is coming with this like concern on the price. How I'm gonna address like to be prepared to to do some role playing to do something in case that happens that will help. And stand by your price like. I know for me it's come from a more deep place. It's not like just like easy. Oh, stand by your price. By your price, yeah, that's easy to say. But it's come come from from a confident point of. It come from a me be, being able to be confident to stand to to that conversation. So I would say only send a price to your client that you can stand by. First of all, if you if you thinking you are overcharging and if they come back with a concern and you cannot have that conversation, don't send it. Send a send a price that you will be able to. To, to stand by that price on first place. And then if you believe in that price, you can just say, hey, this is how it, like you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be this, uh, Chris Doe speaks about this. You shouldn't be validating your, your, like your, your price. You shouldn't give, um, give reasons to justify. Give reasons. Yeah. You don't, you don't need to justify your price. You just need to say, that's why, that's our price. That's my price. That's how, and that's it. And, and, and remain quiet. 
it it sounds easy to say, but it's hard to you. you it's, it's something you need to develop with time. It's something that comes overnight. But yeah, that's where I would like to be at some point in the future. Yeah, I mean, Christo does make it sound so easy, but I think there is like an inner confidence that you know he has obviously developed after having worked mm. with people like Coldplay and like you know his agency future as as work with some incredible clients and he can justify that price from having that type of work um you know behind him but for someone that's starting out i'm just intrigued this phrase stand by your price you know you you should you should not feel like this price is too much is the advice that you're giving then just you should know what is appropriate for your level of experience and you should just charge that without feeling guilty and if you are charging without feeling guilty and that's what you send then that is the right price is that what you're saying because i guess for people that are listening you know they might be in the first year of webflow and they're just like what the hell is an appropriate price i don't even know and there's you know obviously different people from different countries there's completely different markets it's just quite a i feel like this phrase stand by your price i think it's really really important idea but i'm just trying to break it down a little bit more like what is what does that mean okay so first thing i would say here to know what other people are charging in the space on similar similar deliverables so that give you a, a feeling of where you if you are on top you're in the same or you're and you're lower than that once you you, you can have a, a proper idea of that you can throw a number like okay how much would be like a landing page to build in webflow uh, how much you would like to be paid? Okay, I want to be paid whatever one one k. So put yourself in in a in a scenario like the the client is saying, uh, okay, that's too much for us. Like the, like how how come one k? That I don't understand. Let's let put yourself on that scenario. Would you able to stand that conversation without uh, justifying your price? Uh, if if you can if you're not able to do that, bring it low to a place where you can say yeah, that's my price. Um, and nothing else, like to be confident of the price. I think that's a good exercise. And every time that you get a new client, like every time you close a new deal, it gives you the, also the confidence to raise your, your, your rates a little bit more. So if you're charging 800 for a landing, gate, landing page, maybe you're charging 1K the next one or one or and a half K the next one. So that's the way you, you build up your rates and you're confident on, on, on pricing, if that makes sense. Yeah. If anyone um, kind of wants more, advice about this there's a guy called jamie brindle who is really big on instagram and he does a lot of um kind of scenarios like role playing with this type of thing and they're really really interesting but one thing he talks about which sounds very similar to your idea is um essentially you shouldn't be getting accepted for every single job you send a proposal for like if you're getting accepted half the time that's quite a good way to know that you're you know sending an appropriate like ballpark if everyone's like yep great cool when can we start then that's maybe a little bit like oh you know maybe i'm underselling myself or or um you know maybe i, I you're you're actually a far more valuable than you realize if if they feel like they're getting an amazing amazing deal like deal of the century should not um maybe doesn't necessarily reflect how how good you are um so yeah interesting advice there to to stand by your price and have that inner confidence that that just comes through time as well i think that's another thing to say that like 
yeah, Chris Doe just says, that's my price, and just stands, sits there in silence. If you do that for your first, <laughs> your first client, like, fair enough. But I also think it takes time to develop that inner confidence and, and trust that you can deliver the value that you, that you say, can, say you can deliver. I really want to... I really wanted to dig into that just because there's a lot of people on, you know, Twitter and Facebook and whatever saying, oh, I just signed another 10K client and stuff. And there are people who are starting out in Webflow like, oh, okay, if I better learn Webflow. And it's actually just like, no, just be clear that you are not going to just do that. You don't know how much experience that person who's put that tweet out there um you know, has got behind them and, and how much inner confidence they have as a result of that, um, you know, depth of skill set that they have developed. So just important yeah. to, to talk about that, I feel. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good point that you bring because social, I have this love-hate relationship with social media when you see this kind of post, like it looks really simple when someone says that way with one sentence, okay, one 10K new client, like, yeah, sure, but I don't know, people are not speaking of their fails as we're doing here. People are not speaking how long have they been in the journey. And yeah, so be able to contextualize more of those type of, of information that we get from social media. Tell me about failure number two, not sticking to the plans you make. Yeah, so that's something that I realized recently as well, uh, that... Okay, now that I'm a, like, since I decided to be an entrepreneur, I need to plan, I need to have some goals and objectives and, and plan on, on them. And I came, and I'm good at that. I may, I may spend a few hours doing or days planning on some, some stuff. But when it comes to the, the moment to do them, I don't know, I change them or I don't do them at all or I go the, all halfway through, but then I stop for some reason. And I'm still figuring out what, why is happening that to me, why I'm not able to stick to the plan, even though I believe it's a good plan and I plan it myself. Um, I think it comes from a more emotional, like when I'm doing the plan, is the rational part of me that is planning. And then when it comes to do it, it comes the emotion like, oh, I don't feel like doing this right now. I want to do these other things. Or maybe, yeah, it's more an emotional um, thing. I need to overcome that emotional when it comes to doing the plan. Mm. And you're saying that this impacts you both in your professional life, but your your personal life as well. I mean, can you give us an example of, uh, you know, how this actually plays out? So in my professional life, it's like I've been changing my objectives all the time. So as I've been saying, it's the long run game. And I haven't been able to do really a long run game because I've been changing all the time. So... Um, I started with Pinsuit, then I would try to create an agency for the Spanish-speaking companies. Then I went freelancing again for high-end uh, workflow agencies. Now I'm building my team. Now I'm thinking of scaling down again. Uh, so not sticking to the plan, that, that, that's, what hap that's the impact of not sticking to the plan. That uh, up until today, I still feel that I don't have traction on my business, on my, on my professional life. I still struggle to see how I'm going to get paid like a few months from now. I'm still getting clients because from a not desperate point of view, but kind of desperation is playing a role. So that doesn't allow you to be your better self when you're closing a deal. Maybe you're jumping to projects that might not be the best fit. And so I'm still struggling with that. And that's, I think that's a, um, 
directly related to my inability or lack of ability to really stick to the plan. Wow. Okay. And and why do you think that is? Why I can um I don't know. It's like kind of yeah. I'm, I'm gonna lose weight. I'm gonna eat only this every day, and then that day can, like okay, you're one week on it. You're doing it, but then oh, I want that piece of cake over there. Oh, let's do it. And yeah, you you, you like I don't know. Like you don't. Uh, there's people that are more capable of. Okay, this is my objective. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going. And there's people like me that's more like oh I'm that give out of space to their emotional side and and to operate on how are they feeling that that day right um i think that that's that also has a good part like i'm a really emotional person i really take up i really i'm able to talk about emotions like uh, i really when i on a one-on-one conversation i'm really able to go deep and i feel comfortable with emotions but yeah when things need to get done uh it's not a really good companion you say that though but you are the person that did a hundred days of clonables i mean i think what's interesting i resonate so much with what you're saying by the way and i'm saying that for someone like maybe me and you accountability really makes a huge difference like when people expect you to do something i bet you damn well do it Whereas when it's on your own and you're like, yeah, maybe I should grow this agency. Yeah, mm, I'll, I'll think about it. Like maybe then you don't. Whereas if you have that kind of accountability, perhaps, you know, when you when everyone knows in the Webflow space that you're making clonables, hey, you'd like know that they're expecting that, right? And I think the same thing with Webflow for me. I'm amazed that I've been going this long. I'm like, wow, this is like more than I've ever done anything. And I think it's because people other than my mum actually listen to it. And, you know, they expect an episode. And I really want to deliver that. I don't know. Does that resonate with you? Yes. Yes, that resonates a lot. And bringing that 100 talents for me, that's one of the main learnings. I think it's been really powerful doing this challenge because of, of that, because I felt that pressure. Like I, I I said it and it was kind of really clear, like 100 days of me doing stuff. And I was about to, to quit two times, but somehow because I had this accountability, I, 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 find the, I found a way to, to keep going. Like there was a moment like in, during Christmas holidays, I just, okay, I don't have the time or right now to do something new, but I, I went back to all animations and bring and and polish them a little bit and publish them. So I I, f- I found a way to, to somehow uh, continue saying to the world or maybe to a, 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 a kind of big audience that you're doing something, uh, it, it does impact you. It does, it does make not doing it feel worse that if you're just not doing it, if you didn't tell anyone. Yeah, definitely. I found a few different hacks that might help you and anyone else that's listening that kind of resonates with this. Please. I've... I've uh... One thing is having an accountability partner. So I have a call with another Webflow every single week besides the podcast that I say what I'm going to do that week. And he tells me what he's going to do that week. And then we do it. And it sounds ridiculous because it's like, you know, I literally just have a call with him and I say what I'm going to do. And then he says what he's going to do. And then we actually do it. And you're like, really, Jack, is that? But trust me. It's crazy how effective that just that one person knowing what I'm meant to be doing does for me. And and then at the end of the week, we both message and say, hey, 
did you do what you said you were going to do? And I do the same to him. We wouldn't do half the stuff we said we were going to do without that. It's so weird. The other thing that I've done in the past is paying my friend quite a lot of money. And I say, look, you're going to keep this money if I don't do the thing I'm going to say I'm going to do. So I was training for a marathon. I was like, okay, I'm going to pay you this money. Give it back to me at the end of a month. I'm going to train, you know, every other day or whatever it is. But it's super clear what the goal is. And he's like, yeah, cool. And that's literally all that happens. I just send him a load of money and he'll give it back to me if I do what I say I'm going to do. And it's so effective. So I don't know if that any of that stuff resonates, but like definitely finding an accountability partner, one person that can smell your bullshit and, you know, will will be like, hey, have you done the thing? Have you done? Have you done what you said you're going to do? Why not? Oh, you're ill. I don't care. Do the thing. I, I, I do have an accountability partner is a recent thing, but I feel that we're more like, oh, you didn't do the thing. No worries. That's okay. I think that's the key. It's not just a friend. It's someone, it's a bit like a coach who's like, who says, why didn't you do the thing? And if you say, ah, you know, I had a lot on this week. Well, that's a question of priorities, right? Like you had a lot on. I mean, of course, if like someone's died or something, that's, you know, they're not just going to be like, that's bullshit. But, you know, if it's like, if it's like, yeah, I, man, I, I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it. No, not cool. Yeah. Or whatever, and uh, and I think you need someone who's not just a friend who's like, oh, well, there's always next week. It's like that's gonna just breed a a sense of kind of laissez-faire, you know? Who cares? So that that's my feeling with the accountability partner. I think that's I can bring this conversation with 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 this person and maybe change how we approach this this this. That we should start. Hey, did you do the, did you do the thing? No. Why? Why did you didn't do it? And then, but the thing of on the money with a friend, I think that would work better for me. Like, hey, here you have. If you don't, if I don't accomplish this, just keep the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really, or public, or just publicly telling people on Twitter things you didn't yeah. do. Yeah, but it, it's it's a weird one. Have you read uh, Atomic Habits by no. James Clear? Atomic Habits is really interesting. I recommend it because essentially instead of having like these enormous goals that is like, I'm going to build an agency that's the biggest in Spain or whatever, which is like, cool. Uh, How are you going to get there? And you don't really have a clear day-to-day plan. What James Clear does is he essentially says, if you want to do exercise, make it super frictionless to do the exercise, i.e. you put your shoes, your shorts and your t-shirt by your bed so that when you wake up that's the first thing you put on or even you go to bed in your running gear so that next day you can go for a run or whatever but he's like it's quite an interesting book to help you achieve your goals in the long term by doing the micro goals really really well yeah my my feeling with that is that sometimes we put these these big ideas as you would say like this big agency and this i don't know how many followers and then you forget about how simple things are in the end like in the end it's about actions and they're pretty simple day, day-to-day action that you can do it starting now but is are these ideas that that is good to have on one side but sometimes they are they act like 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 um clouds before you can see what is really need to be done tell me about failure number three stepping out of a closed deal because you were afraid you couldn't deliver okay so this is not longer something that's happening right now to me it's more from like old me i would say like maybe five six seven years ago uh i still have the same feeling of that that fear sometimes 
but now I overcome it and I just jump into the project and, and do it well. But there, there's been a couple of times that maybe because it was the first time I was doing some sort of things or maybe the client was, I saw the client really like too big for me and we were in good in a good shape for uh, on the on the sales conversations, but for some reason, I I felt the pressure like I don't know like kind of anxiety and I I didn't want it to have that feeling and I just sent like an email like hey I'm sorry but things changed on my side and blah 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 I'm not being I'm not gonna be able to to deliver on this or to jump into this project and it doesn't sound like that's been a huge regret for you or has it well I think yeah it's. It in one side is not a huge regret because I really I wasn't really feeling it working with these people. Uh, maybe from how the the human relation relationship was was building up. But then I regret it because I believe I will have a I will have more learnings. Maybe my business would be or my activity would be in a better place. I mean, sometimes though I don't know if you trust your trust your gut quite a lot, but sometimes you have a meeting, and. If someone just read like a transcript of the meeting, it would be like, cool, this is this sounds great, good. But actually, you have a feeling when you're in a meeting where it's like this. I like I like this. I like I, I like what I'm hearing. I feel good. Or you just don't. And I think it's important to to listen to that as much as, you know, maybe as much as just the objective, what people are saying. So I don't know if it's necessarily like a bad a bad thing to to kind of feel that but maybe if it's coming from a place of fear that's a slightly different thing yeah i guess both things were playing at that time maybe yeah like fear and also like another part of me saying this is maybe not the right player right now the right pair of people maybe i'm saying it's, it was all from fear but it was a mix of both also it was a moment in time that i wasn't really clear what i was offering what i was doing I was trying to deliver like branding services, strategic branding services, and also web design. And so also like trying to do new things that really mm -hmm. quite fell well. So because also like, as you were saying, like when you read the transcript, sometimes it, and if I've been there, like neither the client, neither you know what you're talking about. Like you're just that's like, okay, we're going to do this project, but we don't really, we're using all this like, buzzwords there's nothing nothing tangible and as i've been growing on my career i've been able to to, to escape from that but in the beginning i i felt like i had to use all these like big words and and some clients also that they are also new to what they're doing they kind of trust you or they go in the same direction and yeah this this weird relationships ha sometimes happen but yeah i wish i could maybe if not to have a better understanding of why I was jumping out of those projects. Maybe I'm calling that fear right now, but maybe what I wish I, I had was more understanding of why I don't want to jump here in this project and also articulate that to the, to the possible client. Because right now it's like, it feels like, okay, I said no, and I don't know really why I said, said no on that place, on that, on that moment. Interesting. There's a guy called Thore Ronarsson who runs a snow house um, agency in Iceland, and he talked about how they basically do like a review process after finishing a job to to understand, you know, what, what went well, what didn't go well, what should we have spent more time on, what should we not, etc. I wonder if that would be a healthy process to go through actually when you when you don't get jobs, you know, if you didn't if you didn't get a job or you turned down a job to kind of review that 
and just maybe like write down you know what happened mm. yeah that's something i don't know if this person uh, talks about that internally or with the client i think both would be valuable if the client if the client is up to that but of course internally right now i'm in a project that i'm wishing to end for for this specific reason like i call like a post-mortem thing where you go through okay what went well what went wrong what could be improved i think that's like that's a normal kind of process that some agencies or companies do uh, it's really enlightening but also maybe i i wasn't thinking of bringing that to a like um to a non-closed deal or or to something to a, a conversation that didn't finalize on a, on a deal it would be also a good um good thing to uh reflect on coming to the end of the episode here tell me about your next failure my next failure, like I need to go into the future and think what would that would be. This is therapy. My next next failure, I think, would be to. Well, this this one is hard. Oh man, <laughs> it's hard for me to think now. Right now, um, I must think like letting. I'm working with people. On my like, I'm having I'm working with collaborators on some projects. And I think because I'm I'm scaling down, I need to um, let these people go, and this might, that will be my next failure because I sell them the like we're gonna be a team, we're gonna do these great things here and that stuff. And now it might be the moment that I need to tell them, hey, this is no longer happening. I I, I it's not the right time for me for for building a team. Thanks so much to Matthias Peters for coming on the podcast and thanks so much for you guys for listening. As you can tell from this episode, even someone as skilled and experienced as Matthias makes mistakes and has some flails. He is still having to overcome problems with clients, processes, mindset and more. I think the part of the episode that really stands out to me is standing by the price you give to your client. Matthias explains you should bring down the price by reducing the scope if the client can't afford the price. But by budging on the price for the same scope of work, it shows that you're not confident in the value that you can provide for the client. With more experience and after achieving results for clients, more and more confidence will grow and you'll be able to charge what you think is fair for your work. So gradually increase the price over time and feel confident every time you charge because you know you can provide tons of value. Next week, we're going to be having Lizzie Curtis, who's the head of design and development for the Side Labs agency, and she's going to be sharing some great flails for you guys. See you next Tuesday, Web Flailers.